Good morning, everyone. My name's Julene, and I'll be reading Acts chapter 20, verses 13 to 28. 38. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Asos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos, and on the following day, arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you, among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom, will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. 
they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. All right, morning everyone again. Um, keep your Bibles open. Um, it's important that we have God's Word uh, open as we go through um, His Word today. Um, but to start, let's pray uh, for God to speak through His Word. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we open Your Word, please change our hearts and minds and point us, most importantly, towards Jesus. Amen. Now, when I think of goodbyes, I think of movies. And two examples come to mind. Um, now, it was a good uh, in the uh, kids' spot. It's very relatable. The first one, so long, partner. Woody says goodbye to Andy. Now, I'm sure you all grabbed a tissue in Toy Story 3 when this happened. And the next one, probably a bit more for the uh, adults. You cannot win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly ever imagine. Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars Episode 4. Now, we remember the last words of these characters from these movies, and we have the same thing with people in our own lives. We attach great importance to them. Someone goes on a long holiday, and you want to give them advice. Someone finishes up at a workplace, and they talk about their time there, and everyone wishes them well. Now, Woody in Toy Story describes Andy as a partner, as this is what he thinks about him. He values him highly. And we see this most importantly after Andy leaves. His demeanour and the way that he treated Woody impacted him greatly. If any of us were to leave this church, this area for good, what would people say about us? What would they say you were about? And would it truly reflect you as a person? And in our passage today in Acts chapter 20, we see in verse 38 that Paul says goodbye to the Ephesian elders. And it says, what grieved them most about his statement, that is his farewell, is that they would never see his face again. Now, what does Paul think that should be thought of him? What impact has Paul had? And why does Luke, the writer of Acts, want, want to include and appreciate this long farewell? And as we look at this context for his long goodbye, we first see that the start, uh, the reason that Paul was so loved by the Ephesian elders is because he's an imitator of Jesus. Um, at point one from verse 13, we went on ahead of the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Asos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived off at Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos, and on the following day, we arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. Now, this section of Acts continues with the second half of Paul's third missionary journey. He has just come from Troas and is heading back towards Jerusalem. And if you have a look at the screen uh, in the orange oval, here's a visual aid of what this section of his journey looked like. And we see in this section that Paul doesn't begin travelling by sea, but rather the Luke, the writer of Acts, includes that he went to go from Troas to Asos by foot. Now, one suggestion reason why this could be the case was that he wanted to spend more time in Troas, speaking to those he made connections with, 
and encouraging and strengthening the local believers there. As Paul and his travelling companions make their way down the west coast of Asia, they stop by a few cities and ports mentioned in verses 14 to 16. And one key detail of this journey is that Paul and his companions end up in Miletus rather than going back to the familiar territory of the Ephesians. Paul had spent three years in Ephesus before coming past it again, and he made many long-term connections. But as we saw in the later half of chapter 19, there was a riot from an angry mob, which Paul was caught up in. And in order for the good news of Jesus to continue to spread, Paul didn't want to get caught up in that city. So he chose to encourage the believers from a town nearby, and it was actually 50 kilometres away, so it wasn't that really, it wasn't that close, but uh, we see this in verse 17. Now, not only was it going to be a possible risk for Paul in Ephesus, but he was also in a hurry to reach Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. Now, the ESV translation uh, reinforces the urgency of Paul by stating that he was hastening to be at Jerusalem. Now, if Luke when writing this chapter in, uh, and writing this verse, verse 16, if you've completely forgot about it, will we really miss anything? Isn't this just a passing verse to talk about Paul's journey from some random towns? But this verse includes that he wanted to go to Jerusalem quickly because he wanted to get there for the day of Pentecost. Pentecost, or the Festival of Weeks, found in Leviticus 23, was a Jewish celebration for God's people when they celebrated the beginning of the wheat harvest. And in Acts chapter 2, it was when the Holy Spirit came down upon believers, and this was at Pentecost, enabling them to speak in different languages for the advancement and proclamation of the gospel. Paul wanted to be a witness to both the Jews celebrating the Old Testament festival of weeks, as well as the Gentile believers there. He wanted them to remember what God had done through his Spirit, So Paul made it a great priority to be there with the believers. And he did this despite what challenges may lay ahead, from verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul knew what could happen if he went to Jerusalem, but we see that he wants the good news of Jesus to continue to spread as he seeks to accomplish his task. If we compare Jesus' own mission as he headed towards Jerusalem with what we're learning about Paul here, there are striking similarities. Jesus resolutely headed towards Jerusalem for the celebration of Passover. It should have been a joyous occasion for him, but he went knowing that he'd face persecution instead. Paul, like Jesus, now resolutely heads towards Jerusalem for the celebration of Pentecost. It should have been a joyous occasion for him, but he went knowing that he would face persecution. Jesus would complete the task set before him, becoming the sacrificial Passover lamb, so that you and I might be forgiven for our sins. And Paul, in a similar manner, would complete his task set before him, uh, considering his own life worth nothing, in order to see the Jews and Gentiles hear the good news of the gospel and repent. Now, what does Paul imitating Jesus have to do with us? Paul was 2,000 years ago. 
And we don't have a vision from Jesus himself, just like Paul did. And we don't have any apostolic authority. But just as Jesus commanded Paul to be committed in speaking the gospel and completing his gospel work, he commands us to do the same. And in Luke 9.23 it says, Then he said to them all, that is his disciples in the crowd, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. And Paul also tells us to follow in his footsteps. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Following Jesus is not a half-hearted effort, and it's not just when it feels good nor when it's easy to. Sometimes it's hard and tiring, so it requires serious commitment. Now, I like to think about commitment uh, with a picture of bacon and eggs. Now, would you believe, unlike this photo here, which is a bit deceptive, there's only two ingredients in bacon and eggs, which is bacon and eggs. But they come from two different parties. The egg comes from a chicken, while the bacon comes from a pig. Now, the chicken, although a valuable contributor for the meal, gives up nothing in comparison to the pig. The pig gives up his life for the meal. He's committed. Now, are we committed, just like Paul, as Paul imitated Jesus for the good news of the gospel? So Paul wants the elders of the church of Ephesus to remember and talk about his commitment to the gospel. But why does he reinforce this so clearly? It's not only because they won't see him again, but because of wolves, starting from verse 26. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Paul has worked tirelessly to ensure that the Ephesians are grounded in the good news of the gospel. He has testified to them about the good news of God's grace. And he tells them he has done their best to ensure that they are grounded in the true gospel, which he describes here as the whole will of God. And it's interesting to note here that Paul doesn't just say that he proclaimed the will of God, but he proclaimed the whole will of God. He didn't leave out parts that people might not like, rather he told them the whole message. And this was because they needed to know what God had done for them, so they could stand against the wolves that were coming and exercise their discernment. Verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Paul charges the Ephesian elders here to have a specific role in watching over the flock, which we know is the congregation. And it's helpful to note that the word elders here can be used interchangeably, and it can be used with overseers, ministers or pastors. And before he tells them to keep watch from wolves, Paul mentions the reason why they should do so in the second half of verse 28. The congregation here, uh, as well as the pastor, is described as the church of God, which is bought with his own blood. And it's important to see the unity that we have with the Ephesian Christians. They are not just a church of God, but rather they are the church of God. And we are the same church of God, purchased by the blood of Jesus. All of us belong to God and are in his family if we trust in Christ. Continuing in verse 29. 
I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples away after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. After being told that the true gospel has been given to them by Paul and they should have no excuse to believe it, in verse 26, Paul gives them this warning. The savage wolves would come and destroy the flock and draw them away from the true gospel. All throughout the New Testament, we see this theme of false teachers coming to destroy the flock, as it was such a huge issue amongst the church, and it still is today. And one of the reasons why Paul was so eager to tell the Ephesian elders this was because the false teachers preached another gospel, something vastly different to Paul himself. And we can see this in comparison of verse 21 and 20, in comparison to verse 30. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. In comparison to verse 30, which is talking about false teachers, even from your own number, men will rise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Whilst Paul preached the whole will of God and had no hesitation, these false teachers distorted the truth. They didn't preach the whole message of the gospel. And because they didn't preach the whole gospel, people would be drawn away, as it may have seemed more enticing. And just like Paul, Jesus himself warned about these wolves coming. In Matthew 7:15, it says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Just as there were false teachers in the, in the days of Paul and the Ephesians, there are still today those who look like sheep on the outside, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. They preach a different Jesus and they preach a different gospel. Now, some of these examples um, of false gospels could be the prosperity gospel, where you'll be rewarded with health and wealth in this life now if you follow Jesus. Or the teaching that we can earn salvation by ourselves, that we don't need this small thing called God's grace, but there's still some good in us, so we'll be okay, despite all of our sin. And we both know, we all know, that these are absolute rubbish. They're not in the Bible. And God saves us not to be wealthy in this life now, but to serve him with the sure hope of heaven. And we know that we're saved by his grace and mercy, not because of what we do. So flee from anything that looks like it. Run from it. Because Paul warned the Ephesians for three years, and that's a very long time. He warned them to flee from it. So we should do the same. So we have seen so far Paul's charge to be more like Jesus, as well as his encouragement to stay away from false teachers. But what underpins the whole message that Paul preaches? It's the grace of God. Coming back to verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as to precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul's ministry is based on God's grace. It's what he is testifying about and is what he is shaped by. So much so 
that he is willing to give up his life for it. And we see that his life is shaped by this grace too, as the gospel works powerfully through Paul. Verse 32 says, Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. One of the impacts of Paul, because of the gospel, is that he is able to be built up, and the Ephesians can be built up and encouraged too. This is because the inheritance is for all who embrace the gospel and are sanctified. The gospel is good news, that we as sinners were separated from God because of our sin, but now we can be made in right relationship with Him, and this is through faith in Christ. And through God's grace, we now have an inheritance that awaits for us in heaven, which is eternal life. And God's grace also changed how Paul lived. We see this in verse 33. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words that the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than receive. Paul, as a result of knowing God's grace, lives for him in all he does. Paul's genuine care for others is seen through the supplying needs of himself as well as his other companions. And this is because of the powerful work of the gospel in his life. Paul sums it up with a quote from Jesus, saying that it is more blessed to give than receive. And this shows the servant hardness of Paul's ministry. Now, this quote um, from Jesus is not found in any of the gospels, but it's most likely that Paul received this quote uh, from Jesus from the disciples, whom he would have been in contact with throughout his missionary journeys. And not only did Paul talk about him living out God's grace in the past, we also see Luke record that both he and the Ephesian elders live it out in the present. And we see this through prayer, verse 36. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. Now, as I just said in my interview, I'm trained to become a maths teacher and I'm almost finished, which I'm excited to be. But to teach maths, you need to somewhat understand it and it's a bit of a hard slog. And if I graduated with a maths degree and then decided to teach art, I'm not very good at art, I wouldn't be using what I know effectively the same thing goes for God's grace. If we know that we've been given an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade, then we should show it in all that we do. So we have seen from our passage today Paul's final farewell to his close friends at Ephesus. And in his farewell, we've seen the similarities to that of Jesus, as Paul was resolute in heading towards Jerusalem. We have also seen that Paul wants the Ephesians to beware of wolves and false teachers, so he has warned them to stand strong in the faith. And just as we've seen, Paul has shown the importance and impact that God's grace can have. So through the partnership of the Ephesian church and Paul, we are able to see the effectiveness of biblical gospel ministry. And this biblical gospel ministry is the same for us. It helps us to imitate Jesus exercise discernment and know God's grace.
Through biblical gospel ministry, we are able to imitate Jesus, just like Paul did, exercise discernment, just like Paul did, and know God's grace, just like Paul did. So two implications to finish. We have seen in that passage today uh, that Paul warns about wolves coming to destroy the flock. But what are these characteristics that we as Christians should look out for? It's not like these wolves in sheep's clothing have a big sign attached to them saying, I'm here to deceive you, don't come near me. So how do we discern this? The first characteristic of a wolf in sheep's clothing is that they don't teach straight, blatant lies, but rather they distort the truth just a little bit. They take the truth of the gospel and adjust it slightly to suit their agenda and to draw masses away from the true gospel. Now let's take this quote um, from a pastor in a megachurch in America. Our assignment has never been about what we can do for God, but rather what, what God can do through us. Now it is true that God works through us to accomplish His purposes, which is the truth. But we are to serve God in all we do. It's not that God serves us like He's the genie from Aladdin. God is higher than we are. And this, uh, this quote here is embracing a teaching called selfism. It's all about yourself, not about God. And it's massive everywhere today. And we know that this isn't the truth. And to sum it perfectly, a uh, quote next to it, it puts it like this. Selfism, the fastest growing religion, they just dress it up and call it Christian. So don't be deceived by half-truths. Rather, seek the full truth found in the gospel. And another way in which we can understand how wolves operate is through their character, not just through their teaching. It's possible to have a Christian leader who is technically theologically sound, but whose behaviour is not transparent. Paul, in our passage today, talks about his own behaviour as an example. And in verse 18 and verse 20... Paul starts by saying, you know how I lived. He's transparent about his actions and is above reproach in all the things that he does. And he's not like a sneaky politician who's never transparent. The same thing goes for those who proclaim the word of God. They must be transparent above reproach. Not just telling people about God on a Sunday and then living in deep-rooted sin and selfishness during the week. Now, as you know, our um, senior minister, Jono, um, is on holidays and on well-deserved leave. And as he's gone for eight weeks, I've got a good idea. Why don't we just use artificial intelligence to give us the sermon? Just like this sermon here. This is a church gathering in Germany where for 40 minutes they listen to a computer and artificial intelligence preach to them. It's a bit laughable using sources from all over the web. Now, why don't we do this? This is just a quick and easy fix. I'm sure it'll be a bit interesting. But we don't know the character of the preachers that this artificial intelligence is using. We don't know about their character. They could be false teachers, for all we know. And when thinking about the character of a teacher, their behaviour is vital. Find people like Paul and you're doing well. Find people who look really different to Paul and are self-serving 
or just an AI computer, and you're in trouble. Second implication, the culture of grace. Notice again uh, that Paul gives a super compressed summary of the gospel with his overarching theme being grace. He mentions the word twice and also speaks of God himself shedding his own blood for the church. If you're ever at a church where the teaching seems top-notch and biblical, but you can't help constantly feel like you're not good enough or you need to do more to be saved, it's no good. We can foster a good culture of grace when dealing with one another, in how we speak to one another, and this should be coming from the front too, from our pastors and leaders. And most importantly, we operate in grace because of the grace shown to us through Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christ and your grace that we receive through faith because of his death and resurrection. Help us to imitate Paul in word and deed to glorify you in all we do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.